Hey there, what's going on with Billy Carson? Thanks for 303k. There's something new on on Midas Touch disqualification of Trump case takes stunning turn 45 minutes ago. Arizona homeowners, do you like the idea of having solar panels, but think it's just way too expensive? Most people don't know this, but almost 100% of homeowners can... I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. The Colorado Supreme Court heard oral argument earlier in the day on the disqualification case under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, regarding Donald Trump. You will recall that the trial court, after a lengthy trial, found that, yes, Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection, but that he could not be disqualified under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, because the trial court held that Donald Trump was not an officer, as the term is used in the 14th Amendment, Section 3, and thus the section didn't apply to him, even though he engaged in an insurrection. Now, the oral argument was a pretty shocking thing to watch. I'm going to show you a clip from it right now where Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler, used to be the Secretary of State in Colorado, actually argued that the Confederate president, Jefferson Davis, would be able to run for president and that the Democratic Party could conceivably nominate President Obama for a third term. In other words, what Scott Gessler argued on behalf of Donald Trump is that because Trump is not an officer, as the term is used in the United States Constitution, in essence, Donald Trump is impervious to the restraints of the Constitution and the limitations imposed on people seeking the presidency. Let me show you that clip right now, and then let's talk about it. This is Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler, before the Colorado Supreme Court. Play the clip. If the entire nation chooses someone to be president, can that be an insurrection, or is that democratic choice? Can, you know, remember, the president is a little bit different. Everyone in the country has an opportunity or should have an I opportunity to vote for that person. Go ahead. I don't think anyone here is, is suggesting, and I don't take the petitioners to have been arguing, that the election of a person as president is an insurrection. I, I, I think that what the insurrection might have been is a different question. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure where you're going with that argument. I'm, I'm going with the broader context of the president is different. <laughs> and everyone in the country chooses Different. a particular person as a president. So if everyone chose an insurrectionist, Jefferson Davis, let's use that example. If Jefferson Davis won, ran a while ago, and the and the electors who, who were not themselves insurrectionists chose to put him into the presidency, that would be fine under Section 3, and that would be consistent with the purposes of Section 3. That would be the rule of democracy in work. But the rule uh -huh. of democracy, there, there are limits. I mean, the president can't be under 35 or can't be, uh, you know, someone who wasn't born in this country. That's so you could, I mean, the argument, that if you take your argument to the limit, it would say they can, we can elect Governor Schwarzenegger or 
you know, my 27-year-old kid. I, I, I don't think it goes that far. It's the it's that rule embodied in the text of Section 3. Now, there are plenty of anti-majoritarian measures in the, in the structural constitution. And there are these qualifications. No one argues that. But when we're interpreting Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and we look at the history behind that and the context and the language they use. They use awful. Look, the, for, to satisfy the conditions of Section 3, you have to be an office under the United States. You have to hold the office under the United States. And you have to be an officer under the United States. And you have to take an oath. You have to have all four of those items in place. Any one of them, Section 3 does not apply. Sticking, stepping away from Article 3, though, for a second, and sticking with the Constitution, could the Democratic Party put President Obama up for, on the primary ballot? Could that happen? <clears throat> I haven't done a full analysis of that particular provision, Your Honor. I'm really sort of focused more on Section 3, but could they do it? Conceivably, I think it's an open question. If you look at the political question analysis of the Article 2, courts, the weight of authority, was that states could not could not prevent that. If so, I understand your democratic process argument, that would seem to be the logical conclusion. I'm just trying to make sure I understand the breadth. The breadth is confined to Section 3, Your Honor. But, but stepping away, because you were focused also on the Constitution. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on the structural Constitution to look at the language the officer of the United States is used four times in the structural constitution. And each time it does not apply to the U.S. president. Oh, go ahead. I mean, not once does it apply. No, I mean, you, you, you didn't answer my question, but that's okay. I'm not going to, I want to let you use your time the way you want to use your time. So I, I feel like we're Please going feel to, free to take another run at me, Your Honor. I, I do want to be responsive. Yes, sir. I, I feel like we're going in circles to some extent right now. And then Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler, argued that he's just making everything up and that everybody's just making things up. And this is all make-believe. I'm not joking with you. Donald Trump's lawyer argued to the Supreme Court of Colorado, Mr. Gessler, you're making it up, you're gonna say to me. Well, so did the judge. We're all sort of making this all up. No, there's law. There's what's called the United States Constitution. Here, play this clip. Why don't you focus, because your time is limited, on the one the district court adopted. And to, I mean, any public use of force or threat of force by a group of people to hinder or prevent the execution of the Constitution. What's wrong with that definition? Way too broad. I think the petitioners actually admitted that a group of people threatening a mailman and preventing him or her from, uh, from executing their constitutional duties, because that's one of the constitutional powers that Congress has, would constitute an insurrection. What if we narrowed it to say, prevent the peaceful transfer of power of the United States government? Would that be an insurrection? To prevent the peaceful transfer? I don't think so, and I'm not sure, Your Honor. Look, I mean, if you look at historically in the context of how insurrection was used, I mean, it has to be for a substantial duration, not three hours. Um, there has to be some geographical scope. There has to be a goal of nullifying all, all 
all governmental authority in an area. I guess I'm not sure where you're, you said it has to be, where the temporal provision, where is all that coming from? I mean, Webster's Third New International Dictionary defines it as an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or against an established government. So you've added a whole lot of conditions there. I'm not sure where they came from. I would urge you, I think probably the best exposition of that was the State Attorney General's briefs and the authority that they provided. But I think also if you look at sort of the historical record. Now, you're going to tell me, Mr. Gessler, you're making it up. And I'm going to say, well, so did the judge. And I'll say, we're all sort of making it up at the end of the day. Yes, I just want to jump in on this point of how I don't know that we have to come up with a test that's going to necessarily address all circumstances. I guess the question, at least as to insurrection, you know, setting apart whether President Trump engaged in insurrection. But as to insurrection, why isn't it enough that a violent mob breached the Capitol when it was, when Congress was performing a core constitutional function? In some ways, that seems like a poster child for insurrection. Why is that not true? Well, I think what you're sort of saying is the famous quote. I don't know. I don't know a definition of it, but I know it when I see it. You know, that we don't have a workable standard. But we think in this instance, they're probably it doesn't feel good. And it just seems. Well, it's more than it's more than it doesn't feel good. For purposes of this case, what we need to do is figure out whether what happened on January 6th. One of the things we need to figure out whether what happened on January 6th constituted an insurrection. We don't need to come up with a definition for all times and all circumstances. I mean, as you watch that clip, as you watch the other clip, I mean, the conduct here is absolutely atrocious. Now, the Colorado Supreme Court is a seven justice panel right there. All of the justices in the Colorado Supreme Court were appointed by Democratic governors. They all serve set terms there in the Colorado Supreme Court. Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler's argument there mirrors what Donald Trump argued in his briefing. Here it is as well. And arguing that Donald Trump is not an officer. Thus, the court shouldn't even have jurisdiction over a 14th Amendment Section 3 disqualification case. And also arguing, and you heard Donald Trump's lawyer argue there, that Donald Trump did not even take the oath of office. And here you see the argument in written form. Summary of the argument. Donald Trump's lawyers argue the framers excluded the office of the president from Section 3 purposefully. Section 3 does not apply because the presidency is not an office, quote, under the United States. The president is not a, quote, officer of the United States. And Donald Trump did not take an oath to support the Constitution of the United States. And therefore, Donald Trump's lawyer argues that the 14th Amendment Section 3 does not apply and the court does not have jurisdiction. Now, if you take a look at the 14th Amendment Section 3, just we'll pull it up right here. It says, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office. 
civil or military under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may vote by two-thirds of each house to remove such disability. And so the uh, ultimate ruling by the trial court is that Section 3 says senator or representative, elector, um, it talks about uh, it talks about a state legislature, judicial officer, but according to uh, the trial court and Trump's argument, it doesn't mention officer. But if you look at Section Three, it says, you know, or hold any office, and it's the office of the presidency. So it, it makes no sense. And the president the president does take an oath of office, but here Trump's lawyers arguing. There is no oath of office pursuant to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that Donald Trump takes. And as you heard the argument there, you know, literally Confederates can become the uh, president of the United States. Obama can seek another term and the rules don't apply. It's what is so uh, dangerous there as well. Um, the lawyers for the petitioners here who filed this appeal after losing in the trial court went through a structural, uh, textual, and historical analysis and basically argued again to the uh, Supreme Court here as they did to the trial court. Um, the reason that there's no specific mention of the presidency or vice presidency in Section 3 is actually well documented in the historical text, the catch-all as it was believed when this section was drafted, was the or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States. That was a catch-all. And so uh, the terms presidency and vice presidency were not removed because the 14th Amendment, Section 3, doesn't apply to them. It just, for drafting purposes, was viewed as being embodied in this kind of catch-all that was uh, incorporated here, and it would also defy any uh, common sense analysis or historical understanding that someone running for the presidency would be treated like a king and could engage in insurrection and attempt to overthrow the Constitution, yet can seek safe harbor in the immunities and seek safe harbor uh, in destroying the Constitution and that the Constitution would not apply to them. It simply is belied by all logic there. So the next question is, is what will the Colorado Supreme Court do with this? They will obviously be uh, issuing a written order soon, and will they find that the disqualification clause applies to Donald Trump? And if it does, will that then go to the United States Supreme Court? But I wanted you, you know, to hear the argument being made by Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler, and I want you to see the summary of Trump's argument saying that Donald Trump did not take an oath to, quote, support the Constitution of the United States, and you saw Donald Trump's lawyer trying to argue that in court. Let's leave no doubt about what the argument is that Trump is making and how dangerous of an argument that is. I'm Ben Micellis. This is the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch.
At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right, gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com. joking with you. Donald Trump's lawyer argued to the Supreme Court of Colorado, Mr. Gessler, you're making it up, you're going to say to me. Well, so did the judge. We're all sort of making this all up. No, there's law. There's what's called the United States Constitution. Here, play this clip. Why don't you focus, because your time's limited, on the one the district court adopted. And to, I mean, any public use of force or threat of force by a group of people to hinder or prevent the execution of the Constitution. What's wrong with that definition? Way too broad. I think the petitioners actually admitted that a group of people threatening a mailman and preventing him or her from, uh, from executing their constitutional duties, because that's one of the constitutional powers that Congress has, would constitute an insurrection. What if we narrowed it to say prevent the peaceful transfer of power of the United States government, would that be an insurrection? To prevent the peaceful transfer? I don't think so, and I'm not sure, Your Honor. Look, I mean, if you look at historically in the context of how insurrection was used, I mean, it has to be for a substantial duration, not three hours. Um, there has to be some geographical scope. There has to be a goal of nullifying all, all all governmental authority in an area. I guess I'm not sure where you're, you said it has to be, where the temporal provision, where is all that coming from? I mean, Webster's Third New International Dictionary defines it as an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or against an established government. So you've added a whole lot of conditions there. I'm not sure where they came from. I would, I would urge you, I, I think probably the best exposition of that was the state attorney general's briefs and the, and the authority that they provided. Okay, but I think also if you look at sort of the historical record. Now, now you're going to tell me, uh, Mr. Gesser, you're making it up. And I'm going to say, well, so did the judge. And I'll say, we're all sort of making it up at the end of the day. Well, I, and, uh, yes, I just want to jump in on this point of how I don't know that we have to come up with a test that's going to necessarily address all circumstances. I guess the question, at least as to insurrection, you know, setting apart whether President Trump engaged in insurrection. But as to insurrection, why isn't it enough that a violent mob breached the Capitol when it was when Congress was performing a core constitutional function. I mean, in some ways, that seems like a poster child for insurrection. Why is that not true? Well, I, I, I think what you're sort of saying is the famous quote. I don't know, I don't know a definition of it, but I know it when I see it. Um, you know that we don't have a workable standard, but we think in this instance there probably it doesn't feel good, and it just seems well. It's seems more than it do, it's more than it doesn't feel good. I, I for purposes of this case, what we need to do is figure out whether what happened on January six. One of the things we need to do is figure out whether what happened on January six constituted an insurrection. We don't need to come up with a definition for all times in all circumstances. I mean, as you watch that clip, as you watch the other clip, I mean, the conduct here is absolutely atrocious. Now, the Colorado Supreme Court is a seven-justice panel right there. All of the justices in the Colorado Supreme Court were appointed by Democratic governors. They all serve set terms there in the Colorado uh, Supreme Court. 
Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler's argument there uh, mirrors what uh, Donald Trump argued in his briefing. Uh, here it is as well, and arguing that Donald Trump is not an officer, thus the court shouldn't even have jurisdiction over a 14th Amendment Section 3 disqualification case, and also arguing, and you heard Donald Trump's lawyer argue there, that Donald Trump did not even take the oath of office. Um, and here uh, you see the argument in written form. Summary of the argument. Donald Trump's lawyers argue the framers excluded the office of the president from Section 3 purposefully. Section 3 does not apply because the presidency is not an office, quote, under the United States. The president is not a, quote, officer of the United States. And Donald Trump did not take an oath to support the Constitution of the United States. And therefore, Donald Trump's lawyer argues that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, does not apply and the court does not have jurisdiction. Now, if you take a look at the 14th Amendment, Section 3, just we'll pull it up right here, it says, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office civil or military under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may vote by two-thirds of each house to remove such disability. And so the uh, ultimate ruling by the trial court is that Section 3 says senator or representative, elector, um, it talks about uh, it talks about a state legislature, judicial officer, but according to uh, the trial court and Trump's argument, it doesn't mention officer. But if you look at Section Three, it says, you know, or hold any office, and it's the office of the presidency. So it, it makes no sense. And the president the president does take an oath of office, but here Trump's lawyers arguing. There is no oath of office pursuant to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that Donald Trump takes. And as you heard the argument there, you know, literally Confederates can become the uh, president of the United States. Obama can seek another term and the rules don't apply. It's what is so uh, dangerous there as well. Um, the lawyers for the petitioners here who filed this appeal after losing in the trial court went through a structural, uh, textual, and historical analysis and basically argued again to the uh, Supreme Court here as they did to the trial court. Um, the reason that there's no specific mention of the presidency or vice presidency in Section 3 is actually well documented in the historical text, the catch-all as it was believed when this section was drafted, was the or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States. That was a catch-all. And so uh, the terms presidency and vice presidency were not removed because the 14th Amendment, Section 3, doesn't apply to them. It just, for drafting purposes, was viewed as being embodied in this kind of catch-all that was uh, incorporated here, and it would also defy any uh, common sense analysis or historical understanding 
that someone running for the presidency would be treated like a king and could engage in insurrection and attempt to overthrow the Constitution, yet can seek safe harbor in the immunities and seek safe harbor uh, in destroying the Constitution and that the Constitution would not apply to them. It, it simply is belied by all logic there. So the next question is, is what will the Colorado Supreme Court do with this? They will obviously be uh, issuing a written order soon. And will they find that the disqualification clause applies to Donald Trump? And if it does, will that then go to the United States Supreme Court? But I wanted you, you know, to hear the argument being made by Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler. And I want you to see the summary of Trump's argument saying that Donald Trump did not take an oath to, quote, support the Constitution of the United States. And you saw Donald Trump's lawyer trying to argue that in court. Let's leave no doubt about what the argument is that Trump is making and how dangerous of an argument that is. I'm Ben Micellis. This is the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to convict for It looks like the Fed has just declared, declared war, war on Americans, Americans again. They haven't done that in a long time, but we... They haven't done that in a long time, but we did it for four years, and that's why we did so well. That's why it was one of the great presidencies, they say. <sighs> Even the opponents sometimes say that he did very well, I have to say. Take it back, they scream, his people say, take they it back. They want to talk about your dishwashers and how much water you're going to have in your dishwasher, even though they don't work. And all of the other things that you have that were so precious and dear that you never really appreciated until now because they want to take them away. But I think if you had a real election and Jesus came down and God came down and said, I'm going to be the scorekeeper here. I think it would win there, I think it would win in Illinois, and I think it would win in New York, which is all places, in theory. Only got indicted once. He got indicted. I got indicted four times because I'm questioning a crooked election. But we're not questioning it. We know the results. We know it. Well, the former president finally got around to some campaign promises amid lots of cheering, as you heard. Many untruths. The 2020 election was not rigged. It was not stolen. We know how the Christmas tale goes. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me the Fox News host fact checking Trump to avoid another $787 million fine for lying to infinity. Going to fight to give much better health care than what you have right now. This is a newer subject, but Obamacare is a disaster. And I said, we're going we're gonna to do something about it. They always want to point to Democrats and say, this isn't working. But they never have a plan that says, our plan is this, and this is the plan that would work. Look, pulling health care from people, whether it is a 1,000, a million, 10 million plus, uh, which we have on Obamacare, 
Um, it, it's, it's stupid. It's unwise. And I would even argue it, it, it's immoral. Trump held a rally this weekend, which means buck her up for more lies than Marjorie Taylor Greene told her book publicist. Seriously, get a look at the reviews. And before I go in and fact check some of the 102 false claims that Trump has made already this fall going into winter, it seems that Fox News themselves are fed up of the former president blatantly lying through his teeth. It's either that or they didn't want to foot another Dominion Christmas party bill, so they thought it best to tell the truth for once. And when we go through courts, if we ever even have to do it, because you have presidential privilege and also if we ever we should never have to do that but if we do we want to redo the election only from the standpoint we want that election we want to look at it very carefully we have so much information there was so much corruption in that election you take a look it's incredible just the other day in georgia 3600 votes that were duplicated so that you had double votes almost all of them were for sleepy joe biden right every single vote you take a look what they do and what they play and what the Democrats have done for a long time, but it's a it's a disaster. And we have to get in and we have to clean it up and we want to go paper ballots. We want to go voter ID, same day election. No more mail-in ballots. We don't want mail-in ballots. He said, we've got a red button on my desk, he said. I said, I have a red button also, but mine's bigger, better, and it works. Mine won't. And then, no. Well, the former president finally got around to some campaign promises amid lots of cheering, as you heard. Many untruths. The 2020 election was not rigged. It was not stolen. Many untruths is right. Now, if you tuned into Midas over the weekend, you would have noticed he had quite the special guest on the network who spoke a little bit about the importance of preserving our democracy, something the former president continues to undermine with his lies about the 2020 election. The make of just the MAGA Republican influence over the Republican Party in general with she's saying that she's ultra MAGA. You know, we are addressed as MAGA extremists, extreme MAGA Republicans. And I would like to make um, just a clarification point. It's ultra MAGA. She's ultra MAGA, all right. Look, uh, for years I served in the Senate. Some of my closest friends, and that's not hyperbole were people I disagreed with, Republicans. There are seven Republicans still in the United States Senate who come up to me since I've been president and say, Joe, I agree with you, but if I, if I vote with you at all, I'm going to be primary to lose my election. There's a lot of really solid, solid people. But this is, makes up, well, I don't know, what, 35%, 40% of the Republican Party? There's a lot of really decent, honorable conservatives who move from a position of trying to figure out how they can do the most for the most people in a way that's fair to everybody. And she's clearly not one of them. President Biden, of course, appeared alongside Ben to discuss a quote that I think is going to serve as quite the moral compass for American voters as we approach 2024. Biden is very fond of saying, you know, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. Mighty out there and those watching right now who for our democracy and who just care about our democracy. You know, we made a speech in Independence Hall saying that our democracy is at risk. And even the press said, what are you talking about? Well, guess what? The vast majority of American people thought it was, too. The idea that you have a former president or maybe the nominee saying that he thinks he should be able to essentially walk away from the Constitution. He should be, I mean, the things they're saying. It's off the wall. The idea that democracy is inevitable is just not true. 
it's under siege. And we have to put a stamp of democracy on everything we do. And let's look at said alternative. We got on stage over the weekend and proudly reiterated this. I will immediately restore and expand the Trump travel ban. Day one, I will immediately restore and expand the... Trump travel ban. Remember when they said, oh, that's so vicious. And while this is true, he also lied countless times. But let's look at some of them. Trump continues to proclaim on stage that there were no wars during his presidency. That, quote, we had no wars. I got out of every war. We defeated ISIS. We got out. You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. The press doesn't like when they say it. We did the job ourselves, and it was absolute precision, magnificent, beautiful job. This is a lie. At the end of his presidency, U.S. troops remained in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria. And Trump kept a contingent of troops in Syria throughout his presidency, even after he claimed the U.S. troops were, quote, out. And as we know, it was President Biden who got troops out of Afghanistan. Now, as the Biden administration rightfully comes under scrutiny concerning the ongoing conflict in Israel-Palestine, something Trump is attempting to use to score points for himself, who said in an October speech to the Republican Jewish coalition that Hamas, Hezbollah fighters, and jihadists are infiltrating across our, quote, wide open border. They're all over the place, he said. Former President Donald Trump is warning his supporters to be on high alert for members of Hamas, the group carrying out attacks on Israel. Paul Spade checks his claim for PolitiFact. Members of Hamas crossed the southern border into the United States. Well, that's what former President Trump said on Truth Social the other day, saying the same people that raided Israel pouring into the U.S. through our totally open southern border. Is this right? No, actually. First off, the border is not totally open. Secondly, the Department of Homeland Security told us there's no evidence that Hamas poses any threat to the U.S. and is much less crossing the southern border. It's actually extremely rare for terrorists from any group to do that. Since 1975, nine foreign-born terrorists have entered the U.S. illegally. And of those, only three did so by crossing the southern border, and they were all children at the time. You can see their ages there. But as the CPB put out in response to Trump deliberately misleading to fearmonger, the CPB had to note that there has been no indication of Hamas-directed foreign fighters seeking to make entry into the United States. The title of this hearing is Terrorist Entry Through the Southwest Border. When I first heard that was the title, my reaction was, what terrorist entry through the Southwest Border? Zero people have been murdered in attacks committed by terrorists who entered as illegal immigrants. And continuing on from his only tactic, Trump claimed in an October speech in New Hampshire that Biden had, quote, proclaimed that the number one terror threat was not ISIS or Al-Qaeda, but Trump's supporters themselves. Now, of course, this again is not true. Biden claimed the number one domestic threat in the U.S. is white supremacy, or, quote, domestic terrorism rooted in white supremacy. But here's the thing, is anyone surprised that Trump took insult to this? They thought it meant him or his cult following. I mean, it takes one to know one. And just at his recent rally this weekend, Trump claimed that Obamacare was a disaster and that he, wait for it, saved it. Going to fight to give much better health care than what you have right now. This is a newer subject, but Obamacare is a disaster. And I said, we're going we're gonna to do something about it. I saved Obamacare when we got John McCain's negative vote. You know, he voted against it after campaigning for many, many years. He said, uh, thumbs down. That was an amazing night. But we're going to fix it because uh, it's a catastrophe for family budgets. Even Elizabeth Pocahontas Warren, have you ever heard of her? Now she's uh, Pocahontas because of her great Indian heritage. 
She even said that it needs to be fixed. Pocahontas said it has to be fixed, so we're going to fix it. This, of course, is another untruth, considering Trump promised an Obamacare alternative that has still never seen the light of day. Much to the Republican chagrin, Obamacare has proven probably more popular than maybe what they thought. So why bring it up as an election issue when there are so many other things that are currently not going well in the country? Why would Republicans want to bring back up health care unless they have a replacement strategy? It lumbers in the fictional realm alongside his plans to have a border wall paid for by Mexico. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. He is, as we all know, a pathological liar. The only difference now is he's getting worse at it. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.
for all, just the softness. I mean, washing our face and we're brushing our teeth. You can just feel it more than just the shower. Welcome to the Midas Touch Network. We are joined by Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro. Governor, welcome to the show. Good to be back with you guys. Thanks for having me. Let's get right into it. I know a lot of infrastructure projects are going up across Pennsylvania. Build big is one of the slogans. Are the people feeling the impact in the Commonwealth when you're out there speaking to people? Are they seeing it? Are they feeling it? I think they're starting to, particularly when it comes to road and bridge projects and actually some of the stuff at our airports. We're beginning to see actual shovels in the ground in some cases projects come to fruition and and people are seeing that they're feeling it now it's my responsibility um and and the president and others to kind of connect the dots and say look this project wasn't free it cost money and those resources came because of the dedication of people like president biden and senator casey here in pennsylvania to make sure that we got the dollars we needed to get it done there's other projects like um putting new water lines in to get the lead out of our uh, drinking water pipes. A lot of that work is underway. Again, letting people know where those resources come from. And then there's some projects that haven't officially started yet, but the dollars have been secured, like making sure that we can connect all 276,000 homes, businesses, et cetera, without access to high-speed internet to the internet. And we have the resources to be able to do just that, thanks to the president's work and the efforts of leaders like Bob Casey in Congress. And so some of those projects are going to kick into high gear next year. So it's all happening. Uh, and I think we just got to make sure that people know where the dollars came from and where the commitment came from. And that's from President Biden and, and our friends in Washington. Look, you are a Democrat, but you are the governor of all people in the Commonwealth, regardless of their political party. Without and question. one of your priorities is bringing Republicans and Democrats together to yep. get shit done is what you talked about last time on right. the show. GSD. How have you been able to do that? I mean, we see at a national level, um, you have a Republican Party struggling to even fund the government. How are yeah. you able to kind of break that trend in the Commonwealth, bring political parties together and get shit done? Yeah, look, I appreciate it. We, we live every day by those three letters, GSD. And let me kind of set the table for some of the folks um, watching and listening to your great pod here, and that is, I am the only governor in the nation with a divided legislature. Think about that for a minute. In these hyper-polarized times, I'm the only governor with one chamber being controlled by Republicans and the other by Democrats. And so for me to get anything done here, we need Democratic and Republican votes. And yet, even with that division in these hyper-polarized times, We've been able to bring people together just through constant dialogue and communication and engagement. And we put a lot of points on the board. Let me give you a few just sort of quick examples. Um, through our bipartisan budget, we funded more money for public education than at any time in the history of Pennsylvania. We brought about universal free breakfast for 1.7 million Pennsylvania school children, along with funding for more resources for mental health for our kids. Um, we funded 400 new state troopers because I think people have a right to both be safe and feel safe in their communities. We funded all kinds of um, new investment in workforce development from BOTEC in our schools to apprenticeship programs to on-the-job training um, efforts that are, that are being funded to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. 
they actually have an initiative to train 10,000 new people that are going to ultimately likely go into the building trades. And that work is all being done because of bipartisan efforts that we've engaged in to bring people together and, and deliver on common sense things for the good people of Pennsylvania. It can be done, um, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of discipline and focusing on meeting the real challenges of real people every day. Is there an achievement since you've been governor? You've listed a lot right there, though, that like, is there one? Well, there's a lot that stands out, though, that goes, no one said this could be done and we did it. I mean, look, you always hate to pick one thing, but I guess to answer your question about, you know, no one said it could be done, then we did it. I would say 95. Right. I mean, all the experts told us it was going to be months and months and months when that highway that carries two uh, 176,000 cars and trucks every single day, when that highway quite literally just collapsed, just fell, fell to the ground. We said it would take months to rebuild, but we organized a hell of an effort from our PennDOT engineers um, to our Philadelphia building trades. We literally worked 24 seven. We got it reopened within 12 days. And when the eyes of the nation were on us, when the road that carries traffic from Maine all the way to the southern tip of Florida, um, you know, depended on us, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania stepped up and we got it done. And we're incredibly proud of that effort. And I think that really epitomizes our GSD attitude. And it's the approach I take to solving every problem in this Commonwealth. GSD lists a lot of tangible achievements, but it seems when we hear from these Republican governors, it's taking away freedoms or talking about woke or whatever yeah. culture war issue is the du jour on Fox that day. What is your response, though, not just to the people of the Commonwealth, though, but to all Americans who see that, who are disappointed in that? What, what's, what's your statement when you see other governors behave that way? I, I think they're wrong. And uh, quite frankly, they're, they're not where most people are. Where most people are is they want more freedom, not less. They want to be able to make decisions over their own bodies and marry who they love. Parents want to be empowered to make decisions on what books their kids are allowed to read. They don't want someone like Ron DeSantis. That doesn't brand new Christmas tree flower ornaments I got from Temu. They're perfect for decorating my yard. And guess what? They were only one nineteen. Now I can instantly customize my yard or any room in my house for the holidays. They come in so many different styles, so you can choose your favorite. Take your Christmas tree designs to the next level. Wow, it's gorgeous. You can get yours at Temu right now for only one nineteen. Make your holidays shine bright with deals on decor from Temu. This part is never easy, but at least saving on your family's medication is. Prescription savings made easy. Another good reason to check GoodRx. It's a little bit more decided for them. Um, I think it's also, you know, critically important to our democracy that when you step up and vote, that your voice be heard and that it not try to be quieted out by Donald Trump or any of his enablers who try and strip away your right to vote or to make your ballot not be counted. Um, I think, you know, freedom is something that we cherish as Americans. One party, the Republican Party, is trying to restrict that freedom. 
Uh, I'm doing everything I can to advance rail freedom here in Pennsylvania. I think that's where the Democratic Party is across this country. You visited the Israeli Jewish restaurant Goldie in Philadelphia earlier in the day. Can you yeah. talk about why it was so important for you to be there in solidarity and show your support? Yeah, and I appreciate you raising that. And um, for those who haven't been tracking this, look, obviously, since October 7th, um, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, passionate people out there who have really strong convictions and positions. And whether I agree with them or not, I think it's critically important that we protect um, the right to peacefully protest in this country, um, the freedom of speech, the freedom for people to be able to be heard. In Philadelphia on Sunday night, that crossed the line when um, a mob approached uh, a restaurant and chanted that that restaurant, literally by name, was responsible for genocide. We stopped at that restaurant because that restaurant is owned by a Jewish person who happens to be American and Israeli. He holds dual citizenship. Um, they blocked the entry. They put stickers on the window. Um, they harassed the people who were inside just trying to you know, have a, a meal. And that really, um, I thought, was an act of anti-Semitism. Um, and it harkens back to a dark time, um, really within the last century, where in 1930s Germany, there were efforts to both boycott and protest businesses simply because they were owned by a Jew. Um, we can't allow that here in this country. It's not who we are and it's not what we are about. And so I thought it was important to go today with my wife, our first lady, um, to the restaurant in question is called Goldie. Um, and visit with the owner and the staff and just let them know that they're supported and loved and appreciated. And by the way, they've, they've got the best falafel in America right there at Goldie and a hell of a tahini shake too. So um, it was important for us to be there to show that solidarity. And I think it's also really important to call out anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, wherever you see it. And that's what I've tried to do as governor. And Governor, final message to the people of the Commonwealth, to the Midas Mighty, to the American people watching this interview as we head into 2024. Look, here's my message as we go into 2024. First and foremost, I hope everybody has happy holidays. Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, have a joyous Kwanzaa. Um, and I hope folks get the opportunity to be with their loved ones and that it is a peaceful and wonderful holiday season. I'm mindful that as we go into 2024, this nation is going to be confronted with another presidential election, and a whole lot of misinformation that's going to be injected into our public discourse. And what my hope is, is that the American people will make a careful, thoughtful, and sober decision as they um, enter the voting booth or they cast their ballots, you know, by mail or however they do. I don't think we want to go back to the kind of chaos that we saw during the Trump years, the kind of chaos where he wants to take away your freedom, take away your health care, uh, make it harder for you to get by. Um, I think we want to continue on a path of um, progress, and that is what we're seeing under President Biden, and that's what I'm trying to deliver on here in Pennsylvania, and what I'm hopeful that the American people will choose as we go forward into this next election cycle. But I hope more than anything else, even if you disagree with my particular viewpoint on that race or on the candidates, I hope that you'll be committed to truth. And that is something that um, this podcast has always done so effectively well. Obviously, you've got your particular position, but we've got to focus on truth as we negotiate this presidential election. And with more AI entering 
into um, our political discourse with a whole lot of people on the far right extreme who are just so willing um, to engage in lies and peddle conspiracy theories. I think it's incumbent upon all of us um, to be sober about this election, to focus on truth, uh, and to not take us to a time of chaos in this country, which is what I personally believe Donald Trump will bring about. So that's where I am. That's my, my hope for folks in the holiday season and as we engage in uh, the presidential race next year. I'll ask you one more while I got you. Specific initiatives that you're excited to launch in the Commonwealth in 2024. So we have a lot of work to do um, to build on the public uh, education funding and make sure that every child of God gets an opportunity for success. Um, we've already done automatic voter registration in Pennsylvania. I want to make sure that we continue uh, to strengthen our voting laws in this Commonwealth. I am um, hopeful that we're going to continue uh, our efforts to, um, you know, to, to address violence. And I'm hopeful that uh, our state Senate will take up some bills that were passed in the House to combat gun violence in our communities. So we have a lot of work to do. Those are some of the areas that I'll be um, spending time focused on. But uh, as I-95 and many of the other things that we've had to deal with in this first year show, you never quite know what's going to be on your bingo card each day. You just got to bring that GSD attitude to work and focus on getting it done for the good people of Pennsylvania. And that's what we're going to do. Well, look, I know the title governor is a great one, but I'm just going to put there, you're an honorary member of the Midas Mighty, which may be a close number two. Thank you, Governor Shapiro, for joining us once again. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your support of our democracy, and we appreciate you, G.S. Dean, out there. Sounds great. Thanks. I'll see you guys soon. Happy holidays. Thank you to you as well. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Thanks to your support. And have a great day. by a Jewish person. The American and Israeli, he holds to a prison by a Jewish person who happens to be American and Israeli. He holds dual citizenship. Um, they blocked the entry. They put stickers on the window. Um, they harassed the people who were inside just trying to you know, have a, a meal. And that really, um, I thought, was an act of anti-Semitism. Um, and it harkened back to a dark time, um, really within the last century, where in 1930s Germany, there were efforts to both boycott and protest businesses simply because they were owned by a Jew. Um, we can't allow that here in this country. It's not who we are and it's not what we are about. And so I thought it was important to go today with my wife, our first lady, um, to the restaurant in question is called Goldie. Um, and
and visit with the owner and the staff and just let them know that they're supported and loved and appreciated. And by the way, they've, they've got the best falafel in America right there at Goldie and a hell of a tahini shake too. So um, it was important for us to be there to show that solidarity. And I think it's also really important to call out anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, wherever you see it. And that's what I've tried to do as governor. And governor, final message to the people of the Commonwealth, to the Midas Mighty, to the American people watching this interview as we head into 2024. Look, our Philadelphia building trades, we literally work 24 seven. We got it reopened within 12 days. And when the eyes of the nation were on us, when the road that carries traffic from Maine all the way to the southern tip of Florida, um, you know, depended on us, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania stepped up and we got it done. And we're incredibly proud of that effort. And I think that really epitomizes our GSD attitude. And it's the approach I take to solving every problem in this commonwealth. GSD, you list a lot of tangible achievements, but it seems when we hear from these Republican governors, it's taking away freedoms or talking about woke or whatever yeah. culture war issue is the du jour on Fox that day. What is your response, though, not just to the people of the Commonwealth, though, but to all Americans who see that, who are disappointed in that? What's, what's your statement when you see other governors behave that way? I, I think they're wrong. And uh, quite frankly, they're, they're not where most people are. Where most people are is they want more freedom, not less. They want to be able to make decisions over their own bodies and marry who they love. Parents want to be empowered to make decisions on what books their kids are allowed to read. They don't want someone like Ron DeSantis deciding for them. Um, I think it's also you know, critically important to our democracy that when you step up and vote, that your voice be heard and that it not try to be quieted out by Donald Trump or any of his enablers who try and strip away your right to vote or to make your ballot not be counted. Um, I think you know, freedom is something that we cherish as Americans. One party, the Republican Party, is trying to restrict that freedom. Uh, I'm doing everything I can to advance real freedom here in Pennsylvania. I think that's where the Democratic Party is across this country. You visited the Israeli Jewish restaurant Goldie in Philadelphia earlier in the day. Can you yeah. talk about why it was so important for you to be there in solidarity and show your support? Yeah, and I appreciate you raising that. And um, for those who haven't been tracking this, look, obviously, since October 7th, um, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, passionate people out there who have really strong convictions and positions. And whether I agree with them or not, I think it's critically important that we protect um, the right to peacefully protest in this country, um, the freedom of speech, the freedom for people to be able to be heard. In Philadelphia on Sunday night, that crossed the line when um, a mob approached uh, a restaurant and chanted that that restaurant, literally by name, was responsible for genocide. They stopped at that restaurant because that restaurant is owned by a Jewish person who happens to be American and Israeli. He holds dual citizenship. Um, they blocked the entry. They put stickers on the window. Um, they harassed the people who were inside just trying to you know, have a, a meal. And that really, um, I thought, was an act of anti-Semitism. Um, and it harkens back to a dark time, um, really within the last century, where in 1930s Germany, there were efforts to both boycott and protest businesses simply because they were owned 
by a Jew. And we can't allow that here in this country. It's not who we are and it's not what we are about. And so I thought it was important to go today with my wife, our first lady, um, to the restaurant in question, it's called Goldie, um, and visit with the owner and the staff and just let them know that they're supported and loved and appreciated. And by the way, they've, they've got the best falafel in America right there at Goldie and a hell of a tahini shake too. So um, it was important for us to be there to show that solidarity. And I think it's also really important to call out anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, wherever you see it. And that's what I've tried to do as governor. And governor, final message to the people of the Commonwealth, to the Midas Mighty, to the American people watching this interview as we head into Look, here's my message as we go into 2024. First and foremost, I hope everybody has happy holidays. Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, have a joyous Kwanzaa. Um, and I hope folks get the opportunity to be with their loved ones. Hey there, welcome back. I noticed that when I posted that thing on a Hitler binge fest and uh, comparing it to our modern day Adolf Schittler, um, I noticed that it well, like went to zero. <laughs> anyway, because it's law enforcement surveilling me without a warrant for several years now. Let's see here. Look, Trump swirls the drain as the end is near. Stream three hours ago. Minus touch. Let's check this out. Show your daughter how much you love her with this beautiful gift. It says, to my daughter. Welcome to Political Beatdown. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Michael Cohen. Much to discuss today. Donald Trump showed up in court in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case. An expert witness, Eli Bartov, testified. Donald Trump showed up whining, looked very panicked. And then this testimony by Eli Bartov was absolutely absurd and basically said, yeah, all of that things that you're saying are fraud that Donald Trump did. See, those were just errors and Donald Trump didn't try to conceal it. So how could it be fraud if he used that in his other financial statements? What will break that all down? Donald Trump filed a notice of appeal to Judge Tanya Chutkin's order denying his motion to dismiss the indictment in Washington, D.C. on absolute presidential immunity grounds. Donald Trump then brought a motion to stay the entire proceedings pending the notice of appeal and get this Cohen Donald Trump says that based on his own erroneous view of the law or as he would say his own understanding of the law Trump is going to proceed based on that understanding and the authorities set forth herein absent further court order which means Donald Trump on his own is saying that he will not participate in further pretrial motions, defense disclosures, classified information procedure act hearings, and jury selections. He's saying, I'm out. I expect any moment now a scathing order from Judge Tanya Chutkin and a motion from special counsel Jack. You know who says things like that, Ben? You know who says things like that? A dictator, a king. No, a dictator, a king, a monarch, a fuhrer. 
people who don't feel that the law applies to them. And of course, who the law doesn't apply to? The king. The kids, right? I mean, it's his world. He can do whatever he wants. The funny thing is what he doesn't seem to understand is while he's electing not to participate in any of these pre-trial motions or hearings or voir dire or whatever it might be, doesn't make a difference. The system continues to roll, meaning, okay, you'll find out what the decision is, probably by watching television or getting somebody to hand you some sort of an email that you know, somebody's giving you the bullet points on. But the process doesn't stop simply because Donald says that it stops. The process is continuing. And again, up until the point that God forbid a million times that he becomes president of the United States again, which of course, as I said last night on my appearance on Joy Reid, he's using it as a get out of jail free card. But until that day comes, that get out of jail free card doesn't exist. You go through his motion for a stay pending his appeal. He cites two cases. The first case is a recent Supreme Court decision in a case called Coinbase v. Bielski, a 2023 June case. That case relates to the determination of arbitrability in cases. And there it says on an interlocutory appeal challenging a denial of a motion for arbitration a district court proceeding is stayed or paused. That's in the context, though, of arbitration. And then the other case, get this, Cohen, that Donald Trump cites is Blassengame versus Trump. December 1, 2023. Sound familiar? We talked about it last week. That was the case where the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals says that Donald Trump does not have absolute presidential immunity in civil cases for his conduct relating to the January 6th insurrection. That's where a bunch of D.C. police officers and members of Congress sued Donald Trump for monetary damages. Trump made essentially the identical argument in a civil context that was denied by Judge Tanya Chutkin in the criminal context. And the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals said, nope, you're not entitled to absolute presidential immunity in civil cases because your conduct constituted election-related conduct. This was not part of your Article II responsibilities. This was part of your bogus stop-the-steal election stuff. So Donald Trump is citing a case that rejected his plea for absolute presidential immunity as the basis to stay a decision denying his claim for presidential immunity. You don't get more BS and frivolous than that, Michael. Well, clearly the judge didn't confer with the legal scholar amongst legal scholars, and I'm referring to Alina Haba, uh, who has used that same line of stupidity over and over and over again. I mean, it is actually comical. They believe that Donald Trump, because he was a former president, that he has absolute immunity from any litigation ever, not just in the past, but any litigation going forward also. I mean, it's truly an incredible, incredible, uh, you know, idea that a former president has absolute presidential immunity for anything 
ad infinitum. Uh, it's it's really amazing. It's only something that you know Donald could dream up and Alina Hava you know, could continue to try to promote. And Judge Tanya Chutkin, in her order denying his claim for absolute presidential immunity, said presidents are not kings and you are not the president. A former president does not have absolute immunity when it comes to criminal exposure. The very nature of why we have a constitution, if you look at the constitution from a structural, textual or historical standpoint, it would undermine the very foundation of our democracy, the reaction of why we have a democracy, because we rejected kings and monarchs and despots here in the United States. And now, to your point, Cohen, Donald Trump is saying he's going to proceed based on the understanding of the of the authorities set forth herein what the coinbase case based on arbitration and then the Blassingame versus Trump case, the case involving you, Donald Trump, <laughs> that says you don't have absolute presidential immunity in civil cases when it relates to elections. At one point, I want to show you, Cohen, too, because you say that Donald Trump is just trying to run as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Here's the projection coming from his family. And you kind of wow, what a shocker. Laura Trump saying that the reason... That President Joe Biden is running for re-election is, well, play the clip, Salty. Huh. It's very interesting to hear Joe Biden jam. say that, I guess, the only reason he's decided to run is because of Donald Trump. Well, is that because he thinks that Donald Trump might investigate his family even further? You know, you look at this situation with Hunter Biden, I think a lot of people might might draw some correlation there and say, well, maybe the only reason that Joe Biden is trying to hang on to power is because his family depends on him trying to continue the cover-up that we know has happened for the Biden crime family. It's very interesting. This is nothing new. This is part of, of the politics that we see yes. here in the United States of America. Uh, but people know very well that Donald Trump is not a dictator, of course. Yes, and I thought the same thing when you see all these documents and the subpoenas and the bank records coming out. Maybe Joe Biden's running for another reason. That's to yeah, it is. You know, absolutely. You can't make this stuff up, Cohen. Yeah. When I saw that, uh, if you follow me on my Twitter account at Michael Cohen two one two, I just responded right back to Newsmax, which you know I happen to know Chris Ruddy, the president and CEO of Newsmax, and look, I get it. He's running a business, and his business is predicated on, of course, you know, promoting the bullshit, which is exactly what his viewers and uh, his online, uh, you know paper uh it's who they are you know it's just who they are and they just continue to promote these lies and bullshit but on my twitter or i should say x account i turn around and said low iq lara seems to miss the point donald trump four indictments 91 criminal charges joseph biden zero you get the point and you know that of course went viral which is funny and i'm pretty sure laura must have seen it but she's an idiot and the fact that newsmax is permitted to put out this type of misinformation this disinformation i mean it's it's amazing to me that not once have they turned around and questioned 
Jared and Nikki Ivanka's $640 million income during the four years that they were senior advisors to the president. Not once has Newsmax brought that up. I'll tell you another thing that Newsmax hasn't brought up either. How about the two plus billion dollars that Jared received a few months after leaving the White House, right at the end after Joe Biden won? He gets over two billion dollars from the Saudi government, despite the fact that the finance committee for the Saudi Investment Authority questioned why they were even entertaining giving Jared Kushner any money, as this is not his field of expertise, nor has he ever proven himself to be competent pursuant to their rules, regulations, and so on. Nobody's ever asked that question on Newsmax. Nobody asks that question on OAN or any of these other ultra right-wing um, papers and stations. I mean, it's a, it's truly amazing that they are so far to the right. At least try to be a little centrist, you know, on this. It's it's amazing. And look, I've been saying that that's Donald Trump's superpower is the ability to project his own faults onto somebody else and make people believe that what he's saying is actually accurate. Look, North Korea, the uh, Russia, they would be envious of the right-wing propaganda echo chamber that is now surrounding Donald Trump. It is that utterly absurd, and they can't even echo negative sentiments about him. They can't even hint at it. Like, let me be very clear. If Hunter Biden committed crimes, he should be held accountable I agree. for those crimes. Period. End of story. I'm not out there defending Hunter Biden in the federal criminal case. And I'm just saying, here's the thing with Hunter Biden. He has offered to testify publicly before the House Oversight Committee. No conditions attached, no time limitations. Only one condition attached, Ben. That it be in public. That it be public. That it be public, that it be transparent. So then, where I do defend him is that when these MAGA Republicans who said that they were open to having that exact forum take place, Republicans wake up in the morning and the first thing they say is, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden. Well, you have the opportunity and now you're saying, oh, what we really wanted to do here the whole time is secret depositions. I want to show you this, Cohen. This was from the, I guess they're calling it a debate on News Nation, the Republican debate. Just watch Chris Christie, who, again, I disagree with on most things, but he is at least calling balls and strikes when it comes to our democracy during these debates and the threat that Donald Trump poses. Watch this, where Chris Christie says to Ron DeSantis, do you think Trump is fit? You can't even say it. You can't even acknowledge that Trump is not fit here, ladies and
You know, 
Bill nominee. He's just so flawed. I'm not even sure that if he ran right now for his governorship that he would win. I mean, he's really getting hammered, including in the state of Florida. So it was a total joke. It was bullshit. Uh, you know, it was set up, obviously, a long time ago. Uh, and they potentially thought that Donald was going to do the right thing as a potential nominee, as the front runner of the Republican Party, and show up and answer questions that are relevant to the American people. But instead, like you said, Ben, we get this tackling nonsense from, you know, from just people who have no chance, no chance, unless one of two things happens. Donald drops dead, or he ends up behind bars before the nomination or before, uh, you know, the election. It's why, though, we highlight Chris Christie on this network. And again, I can say I disagree with Chris Christie on probably most issues. Fundamentally, though, when it comes to our democracy, there's agreement there. And that shouldn't be the floor right now. But unfortunately, you have the Republican Party below that floor. At the most basic level, all political parties should be against dictatorships. They should be against idiocracy. They should be against all of the hatred that is spewed by Donald Trump and just the clear blatant lies and gaslighting by the MAGA. But that's not the case right now. Let me show you this right here. This is, I want to show you two clips of Chris Christie from this debate. And then I want to compare that to Vivek Ramasamwe. Um, but first, let me show you this clip of Chris Christie saying that the other candidates on the stage don't want to talk about something. Play this clip. The fifth guy who doesn't have the guts to show up and stand here, he's the one who, as you just put it, is way ahead in the polls. And yet I've got these three guys who are all seemingly to compete um, with, you know, Voldemort. He or shall not be named. They don't want to talk about it. The fact is that when you go and you say the truth about somebody who is a dictator, a bully, who has taken shots at everybody, whether they've given him great service or not over time, who dares to disagree with him, then I understand why the Thieves Three are timid to say anything about it. Maybe it's because they have future aspirations. Maybe those future aspirations are now or maybe they're four years from now. But the fact of the matter is the truth needs to be told. And for us to go 17 minutes without discussing the guy who has all those gaudy numbers you talked about is ridiculous. I'm in this race because the truth needs to be spoken. He is unfit. This is a guy who just said this past week that he wants to use the Department of Justice to go after his enemies when he gets in there. I mean, the fact of the matter is he is unfit to be president. And there is no bigger issue in this race, Megan, than Donald Trump. And those numbers prove it. We're giving away free Donald Trump gold bars. <laughs> Folks, we're doing a special Black Friday sale. And for so today only, special Black Friday sale. We're giving away these beautiful, Donald, beautiful Trump Donald Trump gold bars. To anyone who wants one. All you have to pay, you is, have to the pay is the shipping. Sleepy Joe and his Sleepy followers Joe are going to hate us for this, but we don't care. This next election is the this most next election is the most important election in the history of this nation. Which is why we decided to do this 
his flash sale. We're giving away until we run, run out. So show your love and support for this country. And get yours now. This free giveaway won't last long. People are ordering these by the minute. On the next page, thousands of people are ordering their gold bars and once we run out. We run a book of Zoe to yours now while you still can. Thank you. Thank you. No, that's my expression, motherfucker. Stole my expression. Have a blessed day. That's me. Motherfucker. Fuck you, Diaper Donald. I'm going to show you this next clip of Chris Christie where he tells the others standing on the stage be very careful with what you are doing right now. His conduct is unacceptable. He's unfit. And be careful of what you're going to get. If you ever got another Donald Trump term, he's letting you know, I am your retribution. He will only be, Elizabeth, he will only be his own retribution. He doesn't care for the American people. It's Donald Trump first. And I want to compare that to Vivek Ramasamy. And I want to say this, and the fact that I even have to say this before, showing a clip at a Republican debate is horrifying. (laughs) What you are about to hear is all disinformation sickening lies and yet this is one of the main candidates for the republican nomination this is one of the main people seeking that vaulted nomination and by the way what vivek ramasamwe is saying here pretty much parrots and tracks the things that donald trump says this is ridiculous play this clip Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11? That the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform? That the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech. That the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the national security establishment. Okay. That actually Thank put you. up the Trump-Russia collusion hopes that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person That'll on the stage who can Thank say you. these things. That's what it's going to take, not people who were licking his boots one time, and now Monday okay. morning quarterback came and criticizing when it's convenient. Governor Christie. Now, if you're a moderator, one sick son of a bitch. There's no other way to describe him. First of all, he's you know, he should yeah. be investigated himself. To those who don't know where he made his money, many people are saying he it had to do with a uh, pharma uh, deal that he did through a uh, a shell corporation through a um, with a SPAC, and he raised. Well over a billion dollars on a drug that had. Michael Cohen says Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy should be investigated for his conduct. Political had already been proven not to be effective. And what he did is they went ahead, they pulled out all of the negatives. 
and they tried to then put it in again uh, to, to the FDA after buying it from a big pharma who was shocked that somebody would be stupid enough to even buy this formula. It had to do with Alzheimer's. And then somehow or another, he ends up selling out his interest a day before the FDA came out and for the fifth time rejected the formula as not being affected. Uh, or effective. And so that's where he made his money, this piece of shit. Talking about January 6th, yeah, you're right. It was a big, giant, you know, government conspiracy, right? The whole thing was a conspiracy. Everything with these morons is a conspiracy. The only thing that is a conspiracy is Donald Trump's nonsense that they all keep regurgitating over and over. You know, I was saying when I was on uh, Joy Reid last night, I've been saying exactly what Chris Christie has been saying now uh, as it relates to Donald Trump's authoritarian wannabe destruction of democracy and the installation of himself as the king or the Fuhrer. And I even turned around and I said on television yesterday that one of the things that you will that you will see if this maniac gets back into office is he will have us all lined up on the streets, right? And he will have, you know, us all saluting him, hail, you know, hail Schittler, because, and then, and also in the background through the, through the earpiece, I hear everybody cracking up in the background. That's what I wrote. That's what I said. I said, you know, um, hail Schittler, because that's who Donald Trump is. And that's who Donald Trump wants to be. He knows the only way for him to finish out his life, not being legitimately who he is, the failure that he is. After all these years of conning the entire world on what a massive success he is, the only way is to get back into the White House. And again, I've said this before, and I'm going to repeat it. He will take every one percenter's dollar. He will take Elon Musk's money, and Elon could shake his head and say, no, impossible, you know, uh, I would fight it in court. You don't understand. Every judge, in order to remain a judge, will have to sign a loyalty oath to Donald. Every federal court judge will have to sign a loyalty oath. Every military individual will have to sign a loyalty oath. Every general, every person in that um, transition team book, all like 1,600 plus individuals will have to sign a loyalty oath to Donald have. J. Trump. And let me be very clear about this. The only time somebody forces you to sign a loyalty oath is when that person wants to be an autocrat, when they want to be the king. And he will then be able to turn around and go to people like Elon Musk, he will turn around and say, how much are you worth? Oh, $300 billion? No, you're worth $1 billion. The other $299, he's going he's gonna to have them transfer it immediately to some bank account of his that, you know, will only be his. Exactly what Mohammed bin Salman did, and it is going to be truly the end of democracy as we know it. He will then go ahead and do the things he said that he is going to do. He is going to have Joint Chief of Staff Mark Milley executed. 
he's going to have this guy, Michael Davis, as the attorney general. Hard to believe that we will have somebody with more complicit in what Donald wants than our former attorney general, Bill Barr. But this guy, Mike Davis, will do whatever Donald says. He is a true, in the, you know, in the dumpster cult of Donald, he is right there, neck high into it. Whatever Donald says, he will do. And that will infringe upon every single one of our constitutional rights. And they will do it with glee. You know, there will then be the reporter fact checkers who are going to say, Michael Cohen, Donald Trump never used those specific words. He never said those exact statements. Look, when Donald Trump says he wants to be a dictator, when he says I'm going to be a dictator for a day, on day one, you know, from on day one, you know, the fact checkers will say, but he didn't say he's going to be a dictator on day two, or they'll try to put context. They'll go, he was obviously just joking. He didn't really mean he's not that. Enough. But what I said yesterday as well, because Joy asked me the same question. Yes, he will not be the dictator on day two. He will be the king. He will be the Fuhrer. That's what he's counting on. That's what's rolling around in that head of his. Yeah, okay. I will not be the dictator on, dicta on day two. I will be the Fuhrer, or I will be the king. I will be the monarch. That's that's what I had said, and I I stand behind that statement. Want to tell everybody that we will be holding our exclusive Zoom meeting. So if you ever wanted to meet Michael Cohen, you can do that. We're going to be doing that December eleventh at eight a.m. Pacific, eleven Eastern time. We're about to make that announcement on our Patreon. So to all of our patrons, Michael Cohen and I look forward to meeting you then. To everybody who's ever wanted to meet Michael Cohen in an exclusive Zoom meeting, ask Michael Cohen questions and hear us on that exclusive meetup, go to patreon.com slash political beatdown, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash political beatdown. Every time we do that, I have so much fun. And I know there's a lot of people out there who want to get to meet you, Michael Cohen, in that way. So that's patreon.com slash political beatdown. When we come back from this quick break, I want to talk about everything that went down in the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial. I want to talk about Donald Trump's post saying that I told my wonderful son, Eric, not to testify at a rigged trial. That and more yeah. after this quick break. Lomi is the only appliance Lomi. that prevents to Lomi lock the name of Eli Nickel beatdown. Donald Trump showed up at the New York Attorney General civil fraud case. Right, I got to put up my dukes yes. right there. An expert by the name of Eli Bartov testified. He claimed to be an accounting expert. That's Donald Trump showing up right there. Eli Bartov actually testified in another case back in 2019 as a witness for the New York Attorney General's office. You know how Donald Trump says they've never brought any other case under this statute before? Well, they did. They brought in multiple cases under this statute. And back in 2019, the New York Attorney General filed the case under this statute against Exxon, except Eli Bartov thought it was against Enron and continued to call the defendant Enron over and over again. So naturally, 
a perfect expert witness for Donald Trump to hire. And Eli Bartov basically said there can't possibly be fraud if Donald Trump was showing this other set of books to the lenders, the bankers, the insurance companies. And because there's no signs that he tried to conceal it, then he didn't commit fraud. Well, Eli Bartov doesn't really understand what this case is about then, because the case basically is Donald Trump kept separate sets of books. When he wanted to decrease the taxes he was paying, there was one set of books that said, well, Mar-a-Lago is a commercial property and it's a club, and that's why it shouldn't be treated as a residential property. The other set of books was it is a residential property when it came to taking out favorable loans. And it was the same kind of scheme that repeated it over and over again. That's why there were undisputed facts. But Eli Bartov says, no, those were just mere errors. And those errors shouldn't be factored into the equation of fraud. And then he basically said that the valuations for the properties were accurate. Then Donald Trump went out and said, see, Look what the expert said. Look what the expert said. I mean, it is just so absurd, Michael Cohen. And that's um, basically who testified the full day today. Eric didn't show up. I want to show you what Donald Trump said. Before, the reason why before Eric. We jump in, before we jump into Eric, Ben, there's also a fact that came out that the second that this question was asked by the AG's prosecutor, uh, Kevin Wallace, all of a sudden, my phone started to blow up. So I knew something must have gone on at the trial. And they asked him a question. How long have you been doing work for Trump or the Trump Corporation? And he put a time period. I think it was something like um, 18 months to two years. Uh, and they asked him, well, how much have you been paid so far for that work? And the answer was, 500, it was over $520,000. And so they turned and Wallace turned and said, well, basically they brought you on because you're willing to be bought and to say whatever they want you to say. And the guy, of course, got incredibly angry at such a disrespectful remark for this professor of accounting at NYU. I mean, it was, from what I understand, it was an absolute shit show. And by the way, the shit show is still ongoing. Normally, you know, these matters are over generally like 4.30. So we're certainly over that time frame. But I understand that the lawyers are all arguing over Bartov's, um, <laughs> over his uh, uh, communications and over Bartov's testimony today at trial. Here's the funniest part about the whole thing. Nothing that Bartov said actually helps Donald in terms of what is left in this case. And we, Ben, you and I talk about this all the time. For whatever reason, Trump's lawyers think that they're going to make a record for appeal that is anything other than how much money meaning the disgorgement that Judge Ngoron is going to slap him with. Is it going to be a million dollars? Is it going to be what Tish James wants as a base of 250 million? Or is it going to be what Michael Cohen says that Donald's uh, and, and the company and others actually really legitimately would owe? And I say it's you know in excess of $600 million. Nothing that Bartov brought up today 
benefits Donald in that respect. In fact, when they asked him about the triplex and he stated that the numbers were grossly inflated, uh, you know, between 2011 and 2012, where Donald added $100 million to the value of the apartment. And they did that based upon the over-exaggeration of the price per square foot, as well as the over-exaggeration over of the uh, size of the apartment in terms of square footage, 11,000 to 33,000. Uh, you know, he said, yes, uh, those numbers are significantly overinflated. I mean, that's a devastating ass kick right then and there. And they had to appreciate that a simple question like that was going to be asked. And I would have done the same with Mar-a-Lago. I would have done the same with Seven Springs. I would have done the same yep. with the commercial real estate over at 40 Wall Street based upon numbers. And that's what they should have done. But I, I, again, I wish I was there because that's what I understand that they did do. And look, Eli Bartov for $550,000 or whatever the Trump organization paid him, totally useless, isn't going to matter. But who could have mattered is Eric Trump during direct examination. We'll recall that Eric Trump sat for cross-examination by the New York Attorney General. He was compelled to show up, but his own lawyers didn't choose at that time to ask direct examination questions a few weeks back when he testified. So they had told the judge before that they were going to call him in their case, in the defense case. Now, Eric is supposed to be the leader of the organization. The buck stops with him during the relevant period, right? And Donald Trump said in his deposition, Eric is the one who would know all of these things. So Eric's testimony, Michael Cohen, is probably the most important testimony you could hear from out of anybody here to explain the discrepancies. And Eric likes to go on Fox and the right-wing disinformation echo chambers and talk about how unfair this is and how unfair the questioning is. Well, you have the ability to have your own lawyer conduct a direct examination and walk you through, not in an adversarial way like cross-exam, but on direct in a complimentary way. And the judge would let it all in. I mean, heck, the judge let Don Jr. talk about a PowerPoint that was not even introduced as evidence. So you can walk the judge through everything and explain why you were so diligent why it is the New York Attorney General was mistaken, if that's what you believe, why you think that all of these things are the way they are, how you exercise diligence. You have the ability to defend yourself, and not only to defend yourself, but to speak positively about the company that you supposedly want to protect. Now, if I gave you that hypothetical, Unless you were worried about criminal exposure or unless you did not want to help the company or unless you knew that your testimony would be more damaging to the company, why would you not testify there? So to all the people, we call it MAGA-splaining here on the Midas Touch Network and political beatdown. So you don't understand, Ben and Michael Cohen. Let me tell you how corporations work. You don't really know anything. Why wouldn't the leader of the corporation want to go into court and explain the diligence that was done if that actually took place? 
because well, it didn't take place. That well, it's actually it's actually more than just Eric. The way that when Donald became president, that the company uh, was being run, Alan Weisselberg was to be the executor, and the two trustees was Eric Trump and Don uh, Jr. And so Don Jr. and Eric. Uh, one of the two of them, along with Weisselberg, had to sign all of the checks and approve uh, contracts and you know, uh, anything relative uh, or relevant to the operation of the company. So you're right. Eric certainly should have been up there. But the reason he wasn't is because Eric couldn't keep his lie straight the first time. And I think that the concern was that he had already put himself into a potential perjury situation. And so as to avoid that and avoid giving the government, the attorney general prosecutors, the ability to really smack him around on cross-examination, uh, they decided that Eric's testimony wouldn't be necessary. Well, okay, you know, um, makes perfect sense. I mean, it's possibly one of the few moves by the Trump C team, uh, legal team, that they've done that actually is smart. I mean, I never would have put him on the first place, but certainly putting him on for this second go around would have been catastrophic to Eric. You know, it's too late for them. If they were smart, they would have they would they should have known they were dead to rights this is what i would have done if i was representing them which i would never would want to do you'd stipulate to liability because they got you and then you would pretty much focus your entire defense on the damages yep. and you would just try to go through and basically say you know here were the errors that we made you'd show up you'd show empathy you'd say you were apologetic and you would say but the damages aren't $800 million to a billion dollars. They're more like $50 million. And you would make a whole damages case. You wouldn't argue that you did not engage in the underlying fraudulent conduct. And you could say, oh, Ben, are you giving them hints? No, it's way too late for them to take that approach. Because now what's so clear is actually the damages seem way higher than they may even ever have otherwise been because they've exposed even more depths to their fraudulent behavior and their conduct in court re-emphasizes all of the fraud. So to the extent any judge would consider giving somebody a benefit of the doubt or a tie goes to the runner on close calls, that's just simply not going to happen here. Just take a look at this post that Donald Trump made. He goes, I told my wonderful son, Eric, not to testify tomorrow at the rigged trial brought about by Attorney General Letitia James' campaign promise that without knowing anything about me, I will get Trump. She ran for AG, then governor of New York, and lost. Eric has already testified perfectly, unlike the star witness who admitted he lied. So there is no reason to waste any more of this crooked court's time on having him say the same thing over and over again as a witness for the defense, us. His young life has already been unfairly disturbed and disrupted enough on this corrupt witch hunt. Besides, I will be testifying on Monday in this shameful no jury allowed trial. 
happy banks and insurance companies, no victims, great financial statements, perfect disclaimer clause, but a corrupt attorney general and judge. And look, I know there's so much like data the fact, out there. I like the fact that he threw me in there, right? You know, the star witness is, is a liar. You know, it's amazing because you know, to those of you who may have seen and they follow my, you know, the, my travails, uh, I put in a request to uh, the judge, as I told you I was going to, uh, government, meaning the Southern District of New York, and this is for the complete termination of the remaining one-year supervised release that I am still on, uh, especially after everything that I've done and I've gone through and been put through. You would think this is a no-brainer. Well, no, not when you have somebody like Nicholas Roos uh, of the Southern District of New York, the only guy remaining from the entire prosecutorial line, which, of course, again, was 48 hours of very hard work, uh, you know, in their threats against uh, my wife, you know, to have her indicted and um, handcuffed and walked out as well. What's amazing is he continued and spewed the same lies in the reply paper to judge to the judge um, that Alina Haba was doing. And in fact, he used the parts that Alina Haba used where I claimed, yes, that I had lied to Judge Pauly, the sentencing judge. Right? I mean, what it didn't do is it didn't go on to the uh, read to uh, the cross or the redirect, I should say, where government asked me to please explain, which I did. They purposely omitted that section, which is something, of course, that they're parroting. And it's hard to imagine Nicholas Roos, the Southern District of New York, is parroting Donald Trump and Alina Haba in order to confuse or to um, to dissuade the judge from granting me this relief, and it's a relief that is incredibly common uh, in, you know, in this Bureau of Prison Department of Correction scenario. So I just find it amazing how even somebody like a Nicholas Roos, a Southern District of New York prosecutor, can be so stupid as to listen to Donald and Alina and parrot the same bullshit in order, again, to, um, you know, win a motion i mean just though the the whiny victimhood of donald trump my poor little son i mean eric trump is a 40 year old or 41 year old man who's leading the organization it's my poor little son doesn't want to show up and uh, testify i want to show you nobody loves me he's just a poor boy soon to be a poor family Well, right here, Donald Trump, uh, this is him out in court. I saw someone post about this. He's kind of like a, like one of those wind-up dolls, right, where you kind of pull the string and he just says the same things over and over again. And he's got three things that he says. It's such a great comment. So here's me kind of pulling the Trump wind-up doll. All right, ready? Wind-up doll number one, pull the string. Mm. Introducing the filter sword. This is a great company. One of the best, I think. They said the best company that they deal with. And this is what I have to go through. Fraud from a fraudulent attorney general that valued a incredible 
club in Florida that's worth 50 to 100 times more than they put down, but they fraudulently valued it low. This woman should be under investigation for what she did. She's a disgrace. Wind up doll number two. What does he, what does he have to say? Hold on, pull the string. No victims. There's no victims. The banks love Trump. A lot of loans weren't paid off, but they weren't by me. The company is a great company. You heard what they said. Even the bank said this is a great company. One of the best. I think they said the best company that they deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Hold on. One more wind up doll. Hold on. Into our country. This is what's happened to our country. We're a failing nation because of stuff like this. You heard things today that nobody knew because I was a private company. I am a private company. Yep, and there's the wind-up doll that you were referring to. <laughs> you know, oh, a friend of mine was in a store, and that was actually in the store. It sent it to me. I wonder if those are the same three things or ten things that can, you know continuously come out of Donald's mouth. But here's the interesting thing. I would love for one of these idiots that is sitting there and just ignoring and just taking down what Donald says and putting it out on the airwaves. Turn around and ask him. If all the banks were so in love with you, then it was really a great company. It's a great company, even though all the banks said so. So how come the only bank that would actually deal with you is Deutsche Bank? Deutsche Bank. Yeah. And when you couldn't get another bank, you ended up using this fund, uh, the one that Jack Weisselberg, the son of Alan Weisselberg, um, you know, where they borrowed like 300 million and you know you can't use the property of like 1290 avenue of the americas or the bank of america building in san francisco that he has a 30 percent interest in because that's operated by vornado and yes vornado is a legitimate legitimate company worth obviously a ton more than trump and they have banking relationships so it didn't matter that Trump was affiliated with it. They were doing the deal because it was a tornado deal. That's the whole point. So he talks about how wonderful his company is and how no banks lost money. No bank would do business with Donald. It's the same thing as to why he has Alina Hava there or Cliff Robert, you know, personal injury litigator out Long Island, right? Or you have Chris Pice that's there. I mean, the reason why is because no law firm wants to deal with Donald because he doesn't pay, because he lies. And then he wants you as the lawyer to continue to promote that lie. And he doesn't care what happens to the lawyer or the lawyer's license. Or the money. All he wants is what he wants, despite the fact it is improper. It is such bullshit no matter how many times he wants to tell you how great of a company that it was no banks wanted to work with him other again than that hedge fund that jack white silver ladder capital and also deutsche bank that's it other than that he 
he had no one. That's something that you know a little bit about <laughs> as, as, as well, Michael Cohen. And as President Biden has said before, don't compare me to the almighty. Compare to the alternative. So I just showed you a fascist wind-up doll right there. I want to compare that, though, to at the exact same time that string was being pulled from Donald Trump in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case, President Biden was uh, giving an important speech today as well. I want to show you what President Biden had to say. Let me show you this one. Look, I know we have our divisions at home. Let's get past them. This is critical. Petty partisan angry politics can't get in the way of our responsibility as a leading nation in the world. The entire world is watching. The entire world is watching. What will the United States do? Think if we don't support Ukraine. What's the rest of the world going to do? What's Japan going to do which is supporting Ukraine now? What's going to happen in terms of the G7? What's going to happen in terms of our NATO allies? What are they going to do? We walk away now, <clears throat> only emboldened other would-be aggressors. So I'm calling on Congress to do something and do the right thing, to stand with the people of Ukraine, stand against the tyranny of Putin, stand for freedom, literally stand for freedom. Let's get this done. Transgender. It's made very, very cool through the media. Don't do it. I show these comparisons because legacy media does not show these comparisons. They both sides these issues, and not only that, but promote Donald Trump's MAGA movement of fascism plus idiocracy as though it is some normal thing. It is not. It is not. And we need leadership. We need normalcy. It is okay if you don't agree with President Biden on a lot of issues. That's fine. I don't agree with him on every issue. It is okay if you don't agree with us on a lot of issues. That is great. Michael Cohen and I disagree on a lot of issues. We have debates over things and ways of, of, of how we think that services can be delivered better to the American people. And by the way, it is okay, I feel, that I disagree with Chris Christie on a lot of issues, a Republican. But when it fundamentally comes to our democracy and normalcy, and the very real threat of authoritarianism here in the United States. We can't equivocate. We can't both sides. It's not funny. And we have to recognize that in the White House now, we have an adult. We have someone who exhibits traditional leadership skills, somebody who should be in that position. And I prefer an experienced statesman or statesperson over whatever the heck it was that we've been showing you in the earlier part of this show. Michael Cohen, I want to give you the final word. You know, one of the things, well, let me start with my two-finger salute. 
Vivek Ramaswamy has to get the two fingers saluted. <laughs> he is such a fucking tool. That <laughs> he, I'm sh- I'm 100% certain that his ass is jealous of the shit that comes out of his mouth. He <laughs> is by far the, the most disgraceful of all of these Republicans that were even on uh, and trying to run. And I think there was like a dozen of them early on. He is by far the least qualified. He may think he's the most qualified, the most intelligent. That He is an absolute fucking disgrace. And the fact that he could turn around and try to kiss Trump's ass talking about January 6th. And look, I've had Harry Dunn uh, on, you know, our my Maya Culpa podcast, which is now on the Midas Touch Network. You should go subscribe, listen, rate, share with your friends. It's the one with the blue background. Harry Dunn is a truly decent man. He is a man who has given his life to the service. He is one of the Capitol Police officers that is credited for saving many of the members of Congress. And the fact that Vivek Ramaswamy wants to be president of the United States and cannot even... Hey there. Welcome back. We're listening to Michael Cohen and Ben Marcellus live on Politica Pizza. Live. Doing a live He's doing a two-finger salute. Harry Dunn is a truly decent man. He's a man who has given his life to the service. He is... All of these... Republicans that were even on uh, and trying to run, and I think there was like a dozen of them early on, he is by far the least qualified. He may think he's the most qualified, the most intelligent, that he is an absolute fucking disgrace. And the fact that he could turn around and try to kiss Trump's ass talking about January 6th, and look, I've had Harry Dunn uh, on, you know, our my Maya Culpa podcast, which is now on the Midas Touch Network. You should go subscribe, listen, rate, share with your friends. It's the one with the blue background. Harry Dunn is a truly decent man. He is a man who's given his life to the service. He is one of the Capitol Police officers that is credited for saving many of the members of Congress. And the fact that Vivek Ramaswamy wants to be president of the United States and cannot even acknowledge that January 6th was an insurrection by a former president. For that, you get the two-finger salute, you fucking tool. All right? That's one. Number two, on Saturday, 2 p.m., I am going to be live, doing a live mea culpa podcast with my special guest, Katie Fang. If you are in New York, the show starts at 2 o'clock. People... You know, need to be there at least by no later than one o'clock. It's a, it's going to be a great time if you're in New York uh, or close enough. You want to come see it. There are still a few seats left. Citywinery.com. That's number two. Lastly, one of the things that Ben and I constantly talk about is the importance of Midas Touch yeah. Network, the importance of political beatdown, the importance of Maya Culpa. Why is this really important? Because here, with us, you are getting no spin, no innuendo. You're getting straight facts. What we tell you is happening. It's actually happening. 
Now, we, of course, like everybody else, have an opinion on it, and you're certainly welcome to your own opinion. But I think we all stand in unison when we say, and again, it's us just now repeating Donald Trump. Hard for me to even say that I'm repeating him. I'm going to be your vengeance. On day one, I'm going to be a dictator. It's not Michael Cohen saying this. It is not Ben Micellis saying that. It is not Liz Cheney in her book. And again, welcome to the conversation. She certainly didn't start it, but she wrote a, you know, a very good book that deals with this topic as well. I spoke to John Dean today, who's actually working on a book as well, on something very similar to this that ties Donald into it. Everybody is talking about Donald Trump's authoritarian comments. They're talking about the potential destruction of our democracy. And I want I want my our brigaders to turn around and stop for a second. Let's just all stop for one brief second and take a deep, deep breath. We're talking about the end of American democracy. I mean, think about that. I mean, think when when you were a year ago, five years ago, when you were 10 years old, did you ever think that America was not going to be a democracy, that as a country we weren't going to continue to advance and to be better generation after generation after generation, whether it's civil rights, whether it's uh, eradication of racism in its totality, anti-Semitism, uh, Islamophobia, that we would uh, anti-right uh, LGBTQ plus uh, you know, community, that we would always try to strive to be better, that we would strive to turn over this country to our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on, better than when we accepted it from our forefathers. But that's not what's happening. We are legitimately looking at potentially the last election that the United States will ever engage in that counts. And I, I've said this so many times on this show, but it is absolutely worth repeating. Donald Trump used to parrot Vladimir Putin in a comment. And he would say, it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the vote. And that, if that doesn't ring as true as true could ring, I don't know what could, and it's why I say to each and every one of you, this political beatdown show, Mea Culpa as a show, all of the Midas Touch Network, we ask you to share with your friends. We ask you, let's every single week double, double our viewers. Let's double our Patreon, you know, um, supporters. Let's constantly, every week, strive to double it. Why? Because if you do the math on it and we continuously double the people that are connected to political beatdown and to all of the podcasts that I previously mentioned, if we can do that, by the time November rolls around for the election, we, we as a collective group, can smash the living shit out of this entire election and ensure that Donald Trump never returns to the White House. That our democracy will be saved. It is incumbent upon us to do this. And with that, I thank each and every single one of you for joining Patreon, for joining the Midas Touch Network, for following us here on Political Beatdown and subscribing and watching and being a part of my Mea Culpa podcast. 
It is so important that we do this together. One person can't do it alone. Myself and Ben, two people can't do it alone. All we can do is try to put together the community, something that you help us to do each and every week. So with that, I just want to again personally thank each and every one of you. And I ask you to please, please make sure that you are sharing this um, time slot, you know, the political beatdown time slot and the other um, shows and, and podcasts. And so that you see on the Midas Touch Network. Folks, it is democracy over dictatorship. Democracy over dictatorship. Democracy over dictatorship. I saw some uh, comments below and some questions. If we join patreon.com slash political beatdown to meet Michael Cohen at that Zoom meeting, is it an extra fee in addition to the Patreon membership? It is not. If you are a member of the Patreon, you get access to that exclusive meeting that will be taking place next Monday, December 11th. We're about to post that on the Patreon. It's going to be at 11 Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, December 11th. Be there. Meet Michael in that exclusive Zoom by joining patreon.com slash beatdown now michael Cohen and i are going to prepare an after show that gets exclusively that posted on our patreon as i said we don't have outside investors here at the midas touch network or on political beatdown so political the way we support the growth of this network is through our pro-democracy sponsors those ads that you see through our patreon and through those emojis that you see she down below no go to patreon.com Anyway, what else? Uh, what else they got? 